Good evening and welcome to Wrestling Rewind. I am your host, Angel Amoroso, and I am here with my co-host, the Iron Man, Tommy Cairo. Tommy? What's up? How you doing, Angel? Good. And this week, we are here for a special book reading. Tommy, you want to take it away? Yeah. So, uh, this is near and dear to my heart, this book. Fantastic. It's a Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame, The Heels. Um, And they did categorize this. This is Greg Oliver and Steven Johnson. Now, what I did was I didn't go by this one. Something didn't click. They have, uh, like, categories. They have the pioneers, the madmen, the egotists, the monsters. But when I came across Don Fargo and they had him in the category of technicians, I was like, I don't think I'm going to bother with these headings because that's not the most accurate description for what I know. And I've studied, I've read his book. You know, it's quite the you know, trailblazer, um, piercings and stuff way before even Albano. Yeah, we got to do a whole show about Don Fargo. Yeah. It's like, you know, that's a whole a couple hours in itself. So I, I was in semi shock reading the whole book. I mean, I, I mean, bet. whatever you, it's like when you tell certain stories or people tell certain stories about you that you know they're real because. They're so outrageous that you probably couldn't come up with this. Like it's got to, that's got to be real, you know. And and that's the kind of thing you read and you know from they uh, the promoters would uh, use him specifically to get because they knew if they didn't say anything to him and they didn't necessarily put any restrictions on him, he worked the territory. He would inevitably get into fights and get thrown in jail regularly, but it only added to the whole thing. All right, his mystique. mystique. (laughs) So we're going to cover a couple of iconic people. And the first one is very much so Johnny Valentine. All right. So you know the reputation this man has. So we'll get into a little bit of Johnny Valentine. There's a little picture there of him. Not the best. (laughs) I can never get this thing right. Left, right, up, down. Anyway. Johnny Valentine. Johnny Valentine took his time, meeting everything on his own measured terms, whether it was wrestling, finding the love of his life, or staving off death. He took his time against a young Johnny Powers at Toronto's Maple Leaf Gardens when, for several minutes, Powers couldn't get his opponent to touch him. The Toronto fans, who were quite sophisticated, at first yelled out, bullshit, fake, fake. These guys don't want to fight. Powers said five minutes went by, then 10, 12, as Powers muttered, Valentine, lock up. Not yet, was Valentine's reply. Slowly the crowd turned from skeptical to convinced. After 17 minutes, it was time. All of a sudden, boom, he locks up. I'm telling you, a simple collar and elbow lock up. The damn crowd went crazy. And I knew then I was in the ring with an absolute pure artist. That's how great Valentine was. I think there was no greater artist in that form of wrestling that I've ever seen. Wrestlers don't agree on much. Who was the toughest? Which promoter was the biggest cheapskate? Who drew the biggest gates? But they do agree that Johnny Valentine was at the top of his profession. I rate him probably as the best business ever, the business has ever seen. Said former NWA world champion Jack Briscoe. 
He was 100% professional and never hogged a match. That was never his intention. He just had that style that made him look so tough that everybody believed he was for real. He just had a charisma about him that was second to none. Valentine was one of the sport's biggest attractions and the most authentic performer. Ice blue eyes fixed straight ahead in a singleness of purpose until a 1985-75 airplane crash left him disabled. What was so great was that he didn't believe in high spots because in a high spot, it's not realistic. If I were to get you into a fight, I wouldn't be throwing you into the ropes, would I? Asked Lanny Popper. And his face, he looked like a handsome, cool man, like a sniper with no expression and kind of a deadpan look. His hair would bounce every time. Valentine was born John Wazinski in 1928, and he was raised in the mountains near Hobart, Washington, outside of Seattle. His childhood was difficult. Friends and relatives described his parents as dysfunctional. An older sister married, and she and her husband watched the teenager who ratted around at his brother-in-law's race car business and passed hours at a gym. There, the famous Stanislaus Zabisco saw him and took him under his wing. That's a big, big name to take you under his wing. Yeah. Moving him to a farm in Missouri so Wazinski could train and provide cheap labor for the, the Zabisco Manor. Zabisco sold me on wrestling, Valentine explained in a 1985 interview. By the time I looked in all his old, by the time I looked in all his old scrapbooks, I was very interested. Valentine turned pro in 1947 in Buenos Aires, of all places, and soon determined that he, the unpronounceable name of Wazinski wouldn't do. So he picked up on the name of a radio show that he loved to listen to at his grandmother's house. He'd go out there and get to listen to the radio some, and there was a Inspector Valentine on the radio, and that's where he decided he liked the name Valentine. His wife Sharon recounted. Valentine was a hit early on as a snotty atomic blonde with Chet Wallach. He was booed in the Midwest, but after a split with Buddy Rogers, he was cheered in the Northeast. You get this bad guy image because you are successful, he admitted to Shirley Garden of the Galveston Daily News in 1970. People always go for the underdog, and because I am not the underdog, they dislike me. Regardless, once he refined his character, time and tempo moved according to his dictates. Heel or babyface, Johnny was the type of guy who never changed his style. It looked like he was going to knock your head off, said Nick Kozak. One time he hit me so hard in the chest because he liked to bend you backward on the ropes. I know I passed gas. <laughs> Valentine powdered and pounded and pounded. And the harder you hit him, he got The more he liked it. He'd whack you. I mean, he did. And you'd watch him whack back. You'd watch You'd whack him back. Sorry. That son of a bitch used to get goosebumps, said Ronnie Garvin. You'd whack him as hard as you've got. And he'd go, uh -huh. is that all you got? Bill Dromo fought Valentine for the Southern title in Tampa, Florida one night, and both men entered the ring sunburned. Oh, God. We pounded nice. the hell out of each other, and we were welted. I mean, we were absolutely welted. Even the people, when we walked by, they said, my God, 
All I said was, oh, I was hurting, and I know damn well he was hurting too. That's got to hurt. I think we both know that look and that feeling, man. Ooh, I saw on a beat, chopped a few times. That's it. Oh, and it's, when it hurts just to go like this, your shirt hurts. Uh, yeah, Valentine even took his sweet time coming to the ring, Bob, who remembered. One approach to the ring apron in Tampa where Valentine walked in like he was alone in the building. All of a sudden, it was like he'd been daydreaming or something. He came out of it. He just very slowly turned and looked at one side of the audience. Just about every person jumped up and were shaking their fists at him and screaming at him because he'd been ignoring them, Roop said. You could feel Johnny Valentine all the way up to the bleachers, added Dr. Tom Pritchard, who admired him while growing up as a fan in Houston. He just had this aura about him, and you wouldn't dare approach him for an autograph or anything because he just scared the hell out of him. Valentine was an inverterate prankster. Introvert? Oh, inverted. I've never heard this word, inverterate. You can't be an introvert if you're still yeah, out there yeah. doing all that. <laughs> and evidently, he was a, a river prankster. Okay. And, mm-hmm. and the story of how he allegedly filled Jay the Alaskan York's asthma inhaler with lighter fluid. Oh. Is, is part that's of a little bit beyond the prank. That's, that's, that could hurt you. Yeah, that's a little deadly. Pepper Martin can set the record straight since he saw it play out in the St. Louis dressing room. Nobody saw Valentine put lighter fluid in his inhaler, Martin caution. But what did happen was when Jay came out of the ring, he went to his bag, and he's huffing and puffing. He started choking and coughing, and Valentine tried not to laugh. Later that night, York pulled a sawed-off shotgun and blew a hole through Lou Fez's metal suitcase, thinking it was Valentine's. <laughs> well, oh. Valentine, could you imagine? Valentine's deadpan when York brandished the gun. I can't top that. A few days later, Martin and Valentine were stuck in traffic near York's vehicle. York got out of his car, walked back to his colleagues, and tossed a hand grenade through the window. Martin and Valentine scurried for cover. The grenade was a dummy. Valentine thought that was a great joke. These guys are carrying hand grenades on the road with them? Like, what Wait, where are we in here? But it was a, it was a dud though, but I think he knew it was a dud. No. I don't think he, he thought it was live. He might probably had it and played around with it. Did you ever carry a hand grenade in your bag with you? Right, exactly. That's what I'm saying. I carried, I carried a lot of stuff. But it well, it we all carried a lot of stuff, but I th- I don't think anything tops a hand grenade. No. I think that about no. tops it. Um, other wrestlers said York and Valentine combined forces to pull inhaler and gun pranks. One night, York assassinated Valentine in front of Powers in the Minneapolis territory. All of a sudden, bam, the gun goes off. Powers vividly recalled, I went, ah, fuck, Jay, you stupid son of a bitch. I can still feel the tension in my body. Then from the floor, Valentine sprung to life, chuckling, even as York laughed uproariously. Powers explained, that's the kind of... That's kind of that's kind of what Valentine could do in the ring. Take his time, set things up. He was an artist in a physical form. For the record, Sharon and her husband confided that he never actually put goo in any of York's inhalers, 
though he said someone else possibly could have. Sharon, uh, who's gonna who's gonna mess with him? Sharon experienced Valentine's legendary deliberation in 1971 when she worked as a hairdresser at a Dallas department store. Valentine asked for her opinion about perfume he planned to buy for his daughter, then methodically reappeared every day during her lunch break. Finally, I asked him, Johnny, do you know where I am? Do you know where I'm always going to eat? His response, he lived in a penthouse apartment across the street, and come lunchtime, he broke out his binoculars and started looking for her. As he chuckled 35 years later, it took me some time to really come around, but when I did, it was like, boom, I'm hooked. Valentine's Valentine only held one singles world championship. I didn't know that. The National Wrestling Federation in 1972, but his talent was so legendary that he was in demand everywhere. Despite occasional rifts with promoters and competitors in 1974, he shook up the Mid-Atlantic Territory with a smack-your-chest feud against Wahoo McDaniel, who assured Booker George Scott that Valentine spelled box office success. I told Scott to take my word for it that he works a style, but when he gets over, nobody else will ever be able to get over. McDaniel told journalist Mike Moonahan in 2001, it was that slow, rugged, brutal style. He was a brilliant man with the best timing in the world. On October 4th in 1975, Valentine was in front, in front seat of a twin-engine Cessna that ran out of fuel and crashed near Wilmington, North Carolina. The pilot later died, but two of the six passengers, Rick Flair and Tim Woods, were able to return to the sport. Valentine broke his back and was paralyzed for life. Right now, this was in 1975. Now, you know that that Rick Rick Flair has to take that bump, but he takes it on his side, and if you look, he's got this big hole in his back. That's from surgery from that plane crash. And anytime he takes a backdrop, he has to take it on his side. And amazingly, he always ends up doing that. Um, he was yeah, in an horrible, horrible accident, you know. And that's not the only one. There were more than one. Right, right. Bobby Shane and, and Austin Idol, who was wrestling as Mike McCord, were in an accident. I forget who else was in it. And then there was another one up in Canada. So there's been more than one and more and deaths on each one. Well, a plane crashes. Usually somebody's going to die. Um, he was in and out of hospitals for a year. When girlfriend Sharon visited him in Florida, he brushed her off. Eight years passed in late in 18, 1983 after Sharon had battled her own health problems. Her daughter announced that a man on crutches was working his way toward her Texas house. Mama, you're not going to believe this, but Johnny Valentine is walking up the driveway. Oh, my God. Please tell him I'm dead. Sharon recounted, so I locked myself in the bathroom. Valentine would have none of that. I finally got my head on straight, he told her. He's been driving aimlessly around the area since dawn, looking for the house and looking for her. He had some questions. Yeah. Was she dating anyone? Did she still have feelings for him? Would she marry him? I said, oh, I guess so. They were married in a small church in Texas. I guess she couldn't resist (laughs) <laughs> yep, they were married in a small church in Bowie, Texas on Valentine's Day, 1984. Their 17 years together were not easy. His hospital bills totaled more than a million dollars. The couple relied on a Social Security income to make ends meet. 
for weeks, the dinner staple was beans and rice, beans and rice. Mostly, we had a very lean existence. But during the 17 years, I never one, went one place without him, never even to get gas for the car, never even to get the cleaning picked up from the cleaners. We literally ran and played for 17 years, and every minute of it was great, Sharon Cute. said. Cute. Amazing. In August 2000, Valentine slipped on the front porch of his house, fracturing his back and landing in the hospital for eight months. Even in critical condition, he braced himself, he paced himself, while doctors and nurses told Sharon three or four times a week that he was in the throes of death. He perked up out of unconsciousness one day when his wife started singing, Seems Like Old Times. I held his hand and started singing our song to him, like I said, and his eyes opened up real big. And he started singing. He finished the whole song. The nurses never died, nearly died. They couldn't believe it. And then he closed his eyes and he was gone again. Oh. Was, Valentine died April 2001. In interviews, he expressed disappointment that wrestling promoters never tapped his mind after the accident. He thought he had more to offer the business. He's not forgotten, though, at training sessions. Pritchard, afraid to ask him for an autograph as a child, invokes his name. There were other things to his persona besides what he just did in the ring. That's what I tried to tell the guys in the seminars. It's those little nuances and little quirks that are so important. Valentine's son, Greg, still works slowly like his old man. In 2006, Johnny Valentine was inducted into the Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame. The reason I loved to work with him was much most of the time he ended up with his face all beat up in mine too, said Jose Lothario. I love to wrestle with the man because he was one of the best, and I don't think there will ever be, ever be another Johnny Valentine. And he's still at Sharon's side. He always asked me long before he got sick to have him cremated. Mama, keep me as close to you as you as you can, always. And he's as close to me as he can be. I have him sitting right here beside my side, my bed. That's a, it's a great story. It's it? it awesome. sad, so sad. Yeah, I mean, you know, people don't, you know, if you don't read this stuff, you have no true idea. You might have an idea because he's an iconic figure, but when you read this, something like this that's so touching, um, it gives you a whole different outlook and perspective. And when that name comes up again, you have oh, so much more to be in awe of than you were before. And that's what's so great about this. Like, that did my heart good to read that, right? And a, lot of, a lot of his story kind of reminded me a little bit of you, a little bit. And yeah. in some ways, yeah. you know, the love that you share with your wife and everything. Yeah. He seemed like a really sweet, deep guy, uh, you know. Yeah. And to know is things like that uh, about these gentlemen is it's special special things to know so that you know you don't look at them as just what their gimmicks were but how they actually were as real life people and you know we have to look at people as they are um he seemed like a beautiful man yeah it gives you uh, uh, an even bigger insight as to how their character developed and how much of that character is taken from the real man you know, how much of it is a complete, you know, opposite? And you see a lot of these times, like, you know, the way he's 
know and remember from the boys is a lot different than what you heard, you know, from his wife. So, some of the hardest guys or some of the softest guys. Yeah. And with that, I will, uh, I hope everyone has enjoyed this uh, episode of Wrestling Rewinds uh, book reading and uh, our little story on Johnny Valentine. I thought it was great and uh, I hope that you've learned a lot. Join us back here every Sunday at 7 p.m. on Monty and the Pharaohs YouTube here. As, as we will have book readings and uh, wrestling archives on wrestling rewind and lots more to come. So until next time, um, I am Angel Amoroso for my co-host, the Iron Man, Tommy Cairo. Love have you, a girl. Nice and a nice life. Good night. <laughs>